0: We're going to start with the story of the days following Easter when the resurrected Jesus was on earth. Now, the first people uh, who saw Jesus after the resurrection was a group of women who had been his friends and his followers during his ministry. And, uh, and they had come early on that morning in order to properly embalm the body after Jesus had died because they hadn't had a chance to do that on uh, Friday because of the Sabbath coming. And so they came on Sunday morning to embalm the body. But when they arrived there, they found that the tomb had been opened. Jesus wasn't buried in a grave, in a, a hole in the ground, but he was, he was laid out in a kind of a cave tomb with a big uh, door on it big rock for a door, and, uh, and the door was open and Jesus was not there. And an angel appeared to them and said, Do not be afraid. I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee, and there you will see him. Then, as they ran off to tell the disciples as the angels had told them to, Jesus himself met these women along the way and greeted them. And as they fell at his feet and worshiped him, he also told them, go and tell the disciples, I will see them soon. And after that, there were a variety of times when people saw and talked to Jesus over a period of several weeks. And uh, after he'd made a few brief appearances to just a few people uh, here and there, He came to a sizable group of them all at once. And this is that story. It says, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, "'Peace be with you.' And they were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. And he said to them, "'Why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones.' as you see, I have. Now, Jesus seems kind of surprised that they would have had doubts. I'm not surprised at all that they might have had some doubts. Um, I certainly would have. I'm sure that uh, some of them were nudging the guy next to him saying, are you seeing what I'm seeing over here? Uh, what? what? Uh, but um, Jesus says, I'm not a ghost. I'm a physical human with a body of flesh and bones. And that still doesn't quite seem to reassure everyone that he's real and not some kind of a vision or some kind of a ghost or something. So then it says, um, and while they still did not believe it, because of joy and amazement, he said to them, Do you have anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. And that seems to have settled the issue for them. They weren't seeing a ghost or a vision of the dead Jesus. It was Jesus himself risen from the grave in a real physical body with flesh and bones and eating fish. And there is one other time in the Bible where it talks uh, after Jesus' resurrection, where it talks about him eating and and mentions what it was he was eating. And on that time, he's also eating fish. So I'm um, not really sure what the, all the implications of that are. Maybe in the future we're all going to eat a lot of fish. I don't know. Uh, Bible's not very clear on that. We'll have to just wait and see about uh, the fish. But anyway, after Jesus ate some fish, he talked with these guys for a while. And uh, and it sounded like he had quite a teaching session. It's summarized by saying uh, he opened their minds so that they could understand the Scriptures. And only a small part of that was recorded for us in the Gospels. But part of what he said to them was this. It says, he told them, this is what was written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And after that time of teaching, it's not exactly clear in the Bible what happened that night. Um, but the impression that we get from, from the Bible is that Jesus kind of appeared and disappeared during this, uh, this time after his resurrection that uh, a couple of times it tells us very clearly that that's exactly what happened. And the rest of the time, it just gives us the impression that Jesus did not just move back in and continue a normal life day in, day out, eating, sleeping, traveling around with the guys. He was kind of in and out uh, over this period. Where was he when he wasn't with them? Uh, I don't know. It's not, not uh, told to us in the Bible. But, but what the Bible is clear about is that he was physically alive after he had been dead and that he spent time with his disciples off and on teaching them over a period of weeks. And that period is summarized in the book of Acts like this. It says, After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Now, the Bible gives us a few examples of these many convincing proofs, but it, it, it seems like there's even more that were not recorded for us in the Bible. Uh, but what is perfectly clear here is that they were not just seeing visions of Jesus um, you know, from beyond the grave, something like that. It was, it was clear that he really was alive and was meeting with them. In, in the book of Acts, it goes on to tell more of the story. It says, On one occasion, while he was eating with them, probably eating fish, doesn't say in the scribe, but <laughs> probably. Um, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, At this time, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? You see, these guys knew that the world would not go on as it had been going on forever. A new age was coming when God would rule on earth and sin and suffering would be done away with. The ultimate coming of the kingdom of God. And Jesus had taught about the kingdom a lot, and they felt like they were ready for it to come Now, but Jesus gives them what must have been a bit of a disappointing and frustrating answer. It says, he said to them, it is not for you to know the times and dates the Father has set by his own authority. So Jesus refuses to tell them when the next stage of God's plan was going to come. That is not for you to know. That's a little disappointing, but there's good news too. Um, It says, but you will receive power... When the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You see, Jesus had a job for his followers while they wait for the final fulfillment of God's plan for the world. He's sending them the Holy Spirit who will give them the ability and empower them to tell people about the good news of Jesus all over the world. And we're going to come back to then spend some time on that in just a few minutes. But first, let's finish this part of the story in Acts. It says, after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. And they were in, looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside him. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? Which is kind of a silly question, if you think about what they had just seen. But anyway, that's what he asked. Why are you looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. And that's the part of the story that we take our title for this sermon series from. We call it Ascended, uh, because Jesus ascended into the cloud. And probably this is not a normal cloud, but this is the cloud from the book of Exodus that led the people through the desert and then it descended on Mount Sinai. It's the cloud that filled the temple when they dedicated the temple in Jerusalem. It's the cloud that symbolizes the physical presence of God. And so Jesus rose into the sky and was taken into the presence of God. And that was it. Uh, That was the end of his physical appearances to his followers. With one small exception, but that's another story for another time. But uh, anyway, let's talk a bit here about what just happened in the story. The disciples ask Jesus about the coming of the kingdom of God. And Jesus says, it's not for you to know when that will happen. Then he gives them a job to do and empowers them to do it, and then he leaves them, and then the angels come and uh, and tell them that Jesus will be coming back. So, how does all this fit into God's overarching plan for humanity? Because here we are, more than two thousand years later, and we're basically in the same position that the disciples were in that day, waiting for Jesus to come back and bring about the final stage of God's plan. So how does all this fit into the big picture? So I'm going to give a very brief uh, kind of a flyover summary of what the Bible teaches about God's plan for us. So it all starts, of course, with creation, uh, the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, living in paradise, enjoying unrestricted fellowship with God, and full, pure, perfect holiness and joy. But then Satan deceived them, and they ate from the tree that they were forbidden to eat. They rebelled against God's law, and sin entered human life, bringing with it a terrible curse, not only on humanity, but on all of creation. And Adam and Eve were cast out of the presence of God because they were no longer holy. And God knew that there was no way that people could ever be rid of that sinfulness on their own. There was nothing that we could do to erase our guilt. No amount of penance we could do or no religious uh, practices that we could perform that would get rid of our sin and guilt. And so God made a plan to save us himself. He hinted at this plan right there in Genesis 3, right at the beginning, right after the first sin. He told Satan that an offspring of the woman would crush his head while he would strike his heel. And from that very first hint, God slowly revealed his plan in several stages over the centuries. He called Abraham and told him that it would be through his seed that all the peoples of the earth would be blessed. And that promise then passed on to Abraham's son Isaac and then to his son Jacob and then to all of Jacob's descendants who became the, the Jewish nation. And then God had revealed his law to Moses at Mount Sinai and, and this plan included a system of animal sacrifices made at the, at the tabernacle and then later at the temple. And these sacrifices illustrated the fact that sin deserved death and the only way to pay for sin was through the shedding of sacrificial blood but the bible tells us this it says but those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins so all those sacrifices were just to remember hey sin is still in your life And death is still required to pay for it because those sacrifices were not enough. A greater sacrifice was needed. These animal sacrifices were only a foreshadow of the real sacrifice that was to come. So then God sent prophets uh, to uh, tell the people about the promises of the Messiah, the anointed one who would come. And then when the right time came, he sent his own son, Jesus. And at Christmas, we celebrate the amazing fact that God himself came to us in the form of one of us. He was born as a human baby, and he was the God-man, fully God and fully human. And at the end of his life, he died for us. And that was God's plan For doing away with our sin and restoring us to relationship with him. When Jesus died as a substitute for us, taking the penalty of our sins on the cross, the justice of God was satisfied and forgiveness was made possible. And if you want to hear a a great explanation of how all that worked and how the cross uh, met our greatest need, you should go back and listen to Pastor Mike's message from a couple of weeks ago. Week before Easter, he spoke about uh, the cross and how it met our needs. And you can find that on our website or on the Clearwater app. And then God raised Jesus from the dead. The first fruits of all of us who will also be raised from the dead to spend eternity with Him. The payment for sins has been made. The problem that was created when Adam and Eve. Uh, chose to rebel against God, was solved. So it's no wonder that Jesus' followers thought, okay, now is the time for the final stage of the kingdom of God. The pavement's been made, the problem's been solved, let's go. They thought that now it was time for the final step in God's plan to restore humanity to full fellowship with God and eternal joy. But instead, God's plan was for Jesus to give his followers a job and then to ascend to heaven where he is now seated at God's right hand. The Bible tells us that he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. See, Jesus has been given all authority. He is above all other rulers, rights, authorities, powers, everything. And Jesus is in the position of having the highest authority in all creation, seated at the right hand of the Father. And he will have that authority, not only now, but also into the age to come, that is, into eternity. Jesus is the reigning authoritative Lord of the universe. And Matthew, in his gospel, tells us that Jesus referred to that authority when he taught his disciples about the job that he had for them to do. This teaching was during that time between his resurrection and his ascension. And here's what it says. It says, Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations." Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. See, because Jesus has been given all authority, therefore, we are to go and make disciples. So, what's the connection between the fact that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, having all authority? In heaven and on earth, and his instructions that his followers should make disciples. Well, first of all, the most obvious connection is that when Jesus, or sorry, when we as Jesus' followers uh, read these instructions from Jesus, uh, we need to obey his instructions. Jesus very much is the boss of us and he has told us something to do. When he gives us instructions, we should follow them. Now, exactly how each one of us is going to go about making disciples is a more complex question. There's different roles for different people, Uh, but there should be no question in your mind that you, as a follower of Jesus, he has given you the task of helping others to become followers of Jesus. Why is that? Why does God want us to make disciples? Why does he want us spreading the story of Jesus and persuading people to put their faith in Jesus? Because that is God's plan for dealing with the problem of sin. Without Jesus, people cannot be reconciled to God. They will be forever separated from him. And God does not want that. He wants people everywhere to be saved from sin. And his plan for spreading the word is us. God wants, to, wants us to have the same love for people and the same desire for them to be freed from their sins that he has. And he reminds us here in the Bible that he has all authority. And then he instructs us to share and spread our faith, to make disciples of all nations. And that part about all nations, that brings out another part of the significance of Jesus having all authority. You see, when these first followers of Jesus went out to other parts of the world to make uh, disciples of all nations, they were going to people who already had their own religious beliefs. In these early days, the preaching about Jesus spread mainly to people who were uh, followers of either the Egyptian, Greek, or Roman gods. Uh, They were worshippers of Zeus and Mars and Aphrodite and Isis and Apollo and Horus and all those things. And their religious beliefs had been passed down to them for many generations. They were a core part of their heritage and their culture. They were uh, impressive temples to these gods in their cities where they worshipped. And their religious beliefs were an important part of what made them who they were. So how could Jesus' disciples, Jesus' followers, go to these people and tell them, your beliefs are wrong? That the gods that their culture had taught them to worship were false gods? That they needed to repent of their sins, abandon their worship of these gods, and put their faith in Jesus. And of course, the point is the same for us. How can we go to people of all nations, or even to people of our own nation, and tell them that their beliefs are wrong, and they need to put their faith in Jesus? How can we tell people that Christianity is right, and all other belief systems are wrong? And doesn't that uh, uh, really uh, fly in the face of modern culture? In modern American culture, this kind of I'm right, you're wrong attitude is very much frowned on. Especially when it comes to religion. So what gives us the right to correct someone else's beliefs? Well, Jesus... "...the reigning Lord of the universe, the authoritative Son of God, seated at the right hand of the Father, the one who is far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come, Jesus has told us that we are to spread the good news of the gospel." And spread the good news that he has made salvation available to all people. And has he given us the authority to spread Western culture? No. This is not some kind of justification for cultural imperialism. Has he given us authority to be arrogant and to feel superior to non-Christians? No. No. But has he given us authority to declare the truth of his love for all people and his sacrificial death on their behalf so that they too can enjoy salvation that we have been given because of faith in Jesus? Absolutely. And notice that our delegated authority also goes to teaching these disciples to obey all of Jesus' commands that he has given to us as we find them in the Bible. The Bible puts this idea like this in Paul's letter to uh, the Christians in Corinth. He says, All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And then he defines what he means by the ministry of reconciliation. He says that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us we implore you on Christ's behalf be reconciled to God again this directly answers the question of what gives us the right to tell someone who has their uh, another belief system that they need to change and become Christians we are Christ's Ambassadors. We are the representatives of the reigning Lord, and as his representatives, we have delegated authority. But notice uh, what we are told to do with that authority. God is making an appeal through us, not a demand, an appeal. We implore people on Christ's behalf to come to him for forgiveness of their sins. And to be reconciled to God. Our mandate is to make a strong attempt to persuade people to accept the truth about Jesus. The Apostle Peter puts it like this. He says, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. We must always be ready to explain our Christian faith to people and to give them a good reason to believe. But whenever we do this, it must be done with gentleness and respect. Yes, we have been given authority by our risen Lord, who is the ruler of all things. But that authority should never be taken as a license to be a jerk about it. God is making his appeal through us. God does not coerce. God does not force. God wants people to come to him willingly and in love. And therefore, he wants us to make our appeal in love, in gentleness, and in respect as we implore people to be reconciled to God. And that is why we now find more than 2,000 years later that God is still waiting for the angel's prediction that Jesus would return to come to pass. God is not done making his appeal to people to put their faith in Jesus and to be saved from their sins. So what is Jesus doing now in heaven? Why is he waiting to return? What is happening in God's plan? God is using his people to make disciples of all nations on earth. And we are acting uh, on Jesus' final command to spread the good news of forgiveness and the love of God to the people all over the world. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, it is such a a great privilege for us to be your representatives, to be your ambassadors, and to bring a message of love and forgiveness and reconciliation to the world. And I pray, Lord, that each one of us would recognize the authority that we have to speak the truth to those who need to hear it. May your Holy Spirit be at work in each of our hearts and in this church as we seek the salvation of many people around us. I pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.